Well, grace and peace to you today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we enter into worship today, let us uh, join together with the call to worship. This one is going to be from Psalms 139, verses 1 through 6, and verses 13 through 18. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. For it was you who formed me. For my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my uniform substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me. When none of them are yet as yet existed, how weighty to me are your thoughts, O oh God, how vast is the sum of them. I try to count them, they are more than the sand. I come to the end, I still with you. Let us pray this morning. Weaver of life, framer of the ages, we marvel at your artistry and the trust you place in us. For our first cries to our final breaths, we are yours. Bind us now to each other in ways beyond our choosing, that your purpose might find fulfillment in our common life and service. For we pray in the name of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Amen. Well, there's a few different announcements that I want to get to. First and foremost, for anyone who is interested in reading uh, the first reading today, it's going to be in Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11, so you can go ahead and turn there and be prepared. Um, also, the, the garage sale, yard sale, rummage sale, whatever you want to call it, 
was awesome. It worked very well. And I want to thank everyone for, for donating stuff, for helping uh, the different days that you came in, for spreading the word, all that stuff. And a big thank you to Laura because she really stepped up and helped put a lot of that together. Uh, and she was the boss that kept us all in line, which I appreciate. Uh, we were able to raise over $800 for camp, which is awesome. That puts us like halfway to make sure that we can pay for all the, the children to go next year. So that is a great thing. Um, Laura, can you quickly just give us a shout out as to now with all the stuff that's back there still, what the plan is so we're all on the same board? Clothing ink up in Mount Pleasant. So if you do have some time to like help box stuff up, everything that doesn't go to one of those three places or one of those places I mentioned is just gonna go up to like Salvation Army. Um, so like housewares and stuff can be boxed up and go up there. If there's anything that you see that you think we should hang out of this for the next sale, or if you donated something and you don't want to see it sent to Salvation Army, you'd rather take it back home or something, grab that today if you can. Um, otherwise it is we don't have a specific day that works for anyone yep. as a whole uh, this week, so um, just going to try to get all that boxed up and backed up. And if you want to grab some stuff um, and take it to one of those places, just let me know. That would be really helpful to have different people taking things to different places. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, and then also membership class is on the 17th. Please, please, please let me know so you can get the booklet plus then we can plan. Because if not, uh, then I don't have to come on a Saturday and, and do stuff, which I mean, you know, is it, it's something. Uh, plus that reminds me also that week. So it's what the sixth, the 11th through the 16th. We are going to be gone on vacation. Um, we will kind of have cell phone signal, but we're going to be up in the UP. So it's kind of sketchy. If you've ever been up there, you know. Uh, so just so you're aware of that, um, you can always reach out to any of the board members if there's any issues. I'm hoping that everything is nice and quiet for us all that week. But just in case, um, we can still try to get some information, phone calls or text messages. And so tutoring is going to begin not this coming Tuesday, but next Tuesday. Jen is brave enough to be starting all that and uh, if you can help, please let her know. Uh, obviously at the beginning, it's going to be a little hit and miss as to whether or not we'll have students or how many or what the needs will be. So bear with her as she figures that out. Uh, but it's going to be at the public library, so it will be nice and a nice facility and everything to go and, and do that with. So just let her know if you can come so she can plan on people and make sure that there's not 21 week and zero the next, so. Sunday school will be coming back. The children will be starting next week along with the adults. Adults, I'm just putting it out there, we're still like doing practice stuff and trying to get that under our belts. So we might start nine to like 10 o'clock, but the children plan to start about 9.30. And then teens, and when I say teens, I'm talking 10 years and up because we have a younger sliding bracket of teens. Uh, so 10 and up, 
they're going to be starting late September, early October sometime. Uh, that will kind of be starting progressively soon. Uh, but start to plan on that. And if you would like to help with children's uh, Sunday school, talk to Amy. And there's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board so that she knows who is going to do what. And, of course, there is uh, the, the new series that we're starting today talking about life-changing events and how we can make an impact. So um, this is going to take place through September and October as we look through the, the New Testament letters that Paul wrote. I believe that's everything for now. A reminder to all those people who have set up the different event planners uh, for this stuff uh, to get your team together to pick some dates, let me know so I can be there to help with any planning that you're going to start doing for those events. And, uh, and then make sure they just fill out those sheets so that we can keep track and keep tabs on everything. So, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11. Is there someone ready to read that? This is the word of the Lord, and together we say, thanks be to God. Well, join us as we sing our first song today, 10,000 Reasons. You guys are welcome to stand or stay seated or whatever you want to do in, in worship this morning? Holy 
the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me. Let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I worship your holy You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. And on that day, strength is failing. The end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never here for a second. <laughs> Our goal is to do a whole set, but you know, it takes time. We'll get there. <laughs> One song at a time. <laughs> but our next song this morning is No Longer Slaves. So join with me as we sing. 
with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. next reading. Our reading is uh, Luke 14, 25 through 33. If we have any um, 
volunteers to read that? If not, I can. Or are you getting ready to read, or are you just following along? <laughs> She's the only one flipping pages out there. <laughs> a great multitude of good wisdom is discerned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not gain his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, also he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, in whom is the power, does not sit down first and come to whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, Thank you. This is the word of the Lord, and together we say, thanks be to God. Our next song this morning is To God Be the Glory. And if you want to follow along in the hymnal, it's number 36. Lord, praise the Lord. 
something about the lion and the lamb. And then it says, who can stop the Lord Almighty? And that's just, it's always like refreshing and encouraging sometimes. Like, who can stop God? We try, I think, <laughs> in life. We say no, and we, we try to stop him, but we can't. And other people can't either. Um, so join with me as we sing. You can stand if you want. It's coming on the clouds, kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break as broken hearts. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. His blood brings Is wrong. 
Well, we're going to be looking at Philemon today. You can go ahead and turn there. If you can't find it, you're looking in the wrong spot. It's, it's a single chapter book. It's a single page, as long as you don't have a lot of notes. My, my Bible has a lot of study notes, so it's actually two pages. I feel special. Uh, but no, it is, it is a single page. It's right after Titus, which is right after 1st 2nd Timothy. So 1st 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And then if you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. So turn back around. Uh, we're going to be looking at this book, and as we've been talking about, we're going into this new series, and we just got done looking at the Old Testament and the prophets, and I went there first in this, in this broader uh, section that we call Ordinary Time, because it is the time for the church. It's the time for the church to grow, to learn, to, to understand the mission of God, how we are to be shaped and changed. And I wanted us to first look at the beginning with, with the prophets and how they were trying to shape and change the people of Israel. And now we're going into the New Testament to see the practical applications of the church being told what they are supposed to do, how they are supposed to behave. And so we're going to start with Philemon and then we'll finish out the entire series going through First and Second Timothy. And so... If you are able, I ask that you please stand for the reading of the Lord today in Philemon, chapter 1, 1 through 21, which is all but like four verses of the book. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in, the, in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and of your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason... Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love, and I, Paul, do this as an old man and also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I am appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful, both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted you to keep him with I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a time so that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. This is the word of the Lord. 
and together we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated today. Holy and merciful God, we have come to hear your word. Help us to bear it. Break down in us all that resist your will and plant in us a willingness to turn. For we would live, we would be your disciples. By your spirit come to us now in ancient texts, in everyday visions, in the need of our neighbor. We pray in the name of Jesus, our light. Amen. A quick side note, because I have to get this off my chest, even though we're not moving in this particular direction. Um, I remember my professor, now he was, he wasn't then, but now he is Dr. Ron Peters. Uh, he was our New Testament professor in college, and, and he got to this book of Philemon, and he said, you know, Paul is kind of saucy. We don't, we don't like to think of the apostles, we don't like to think of biblical characters as having, like, kind of less than pure motives. But Paul here is, is specifically kind of writing a, a saucy letter to Philemon, saying things like, you know, I could command you because I'm an apostle of the Lord. I could tell you what to do, but I'm not going to. Even though I'm an old man, and so you should honor me because I'm old, and, and I'm, I'm not going to say anything about you needing to owe me your life because I brought you to Christ. I'll repay the debt that, that Onesimus caused. And just in the back of your head, realize that even the great apostles were still people, and they still did things in order to get points across to others. Uh, so we can't always hold them up to such high platitudes that then we uh, are struck when they are a little manipulative, perchance. Side note, done. Now, as we go into this new series, I want us to deepen our understanding of how the church works, what it is uh, for, for function's sake. And the idea of this is to help us have an impact in this world. But we're not going to be talking about how the church goes out on missions. We're not going to be talking about 12-step programs to solve world hunger or to, to end all the crises that we have in the world. That's not it. Rather, we're going to be focusing on the true function of the church, which is actually rather local and centered around what we do rather than what we do out there. There's, there's an out there function. There's an out there kind of thing that we are supposed to be a part of, but that has sometimes taken the front seat and this gets neglected for the sake of doing things out there. And so we want to bring things back into balance because the irony of people who desperately want to make an impact is that they'll do all these things. They'll put together these programs. They'll do whatever they can to make an impact and usually it doesn't last. Well, the real impact that happens is when you have those small, life-changing moments within your life. You make those small steps. You, you quit eating sugar. You quit drinking coffee. You, you get on a healthier diet or you decide to take walks during lunch. Whatever it may be, those, those small things make a huge impact in your life. Much more than going to those conferences to teach you to be a better person or whatever it may be. But because I know that it is what it is. We do have a fancy term. We have a fancy idea of what we're going to be talking about so that we can still be trendy, right? So we can tell people, oh, my church is talking about this, right? 
Um, it is this idea, and you've probably heard me say it before, and if not, for those who haven't, it's this idea that Christians are to hold in balance orthodoxy and orthopraxy. If you've ever been to a Catholic church, you've probably heard that. Uh, orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is Greek, and it means right thinking. It's the idea behind uh, what getting everyone on the same page, making sure that everyone is kind of going in the same direction. And one of the earliest statements of faith that the church formed in order to check everyone's orthodoxy was the Apostles' Creed. Does anyone know that by heart, by chance? I do. <laughs> I, have to, I have to stop my train of thought in order to focus and so I can say it. And I have it written down, but I'm not going to look. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's the Apostles' Creed. One quick side note, when it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, you have to know the difference between little c, big c. Okay, Laura's laughing. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, when the Apostles' Creed, it's little c, which means that it's talking about Catholic as the term of universal, the entire church across the world, no matter denomination. It is saying, I believe in the church that Jesus Christ started the, the whole function of who the church is. When you see the big C, that's the Catholic Church, you know, the Pope and everything. Two totally separate things. So some, sometimes they've changed the, that terminology to say, I believe in the church universal or something like that. I like keeping the original words and educating people then on what Catholic means so that then we can still understand it. Because there, there's a difference. And I want you to be educated about the words rather than try to change it to make it so it doesn't sound like we're all, you know, siding with the Catholic Church and then that brings up problems and whatever. Anyways, that is a statement of faith. And it is one that shows that you are orthodox in your belief because those are simple statements, right? It's not, it's not trying to tell a story. It's not trying to do anything real complex, but it is giving simple statements of what we believe about God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and about how then the church functions. That is just used to check, to make sure that people are all thinking the same thing, so that we don't have someone here saying, well, I actually don't believe that there was a Jesus. Or, I don't believe that God actually created the heavens and the earth. Like, it, it's meant to make sure that we, we are consistent. Orthopraxy is also Greek. And it means right practice. And this is less about what we think, and it's more about what we do. Are the things we considered correct and in line with the Bible and the institution of the church? That's a question that orthopraxy seeks to solve. This right here, what we are participating in right now, is orthopraxy. This is uh, the, the worship services is considered consistent with the church and with the Bible about gathering together to worship the Lord. It is a practice that we do 
that is right. Other things such as passing out vegetables, doing rummage sales to raise money, and, and doing uh, the, the tutoring and everything, those are all orthopraxy actions. They are things we do that keep us in line with our faith. So now I've spent a good deal of time just introducing all this stuff because I want us to understand the core of these changes and the ideas and how it boils down to the fact of having an impact within our lives. You see, in order to have a, a true impact within the church, we need to hold in tension both orthodoxy and orthopraxy. If we do more than one than the other, or if we forget the one and only do the other, we will be out of balance, and we will not be able to actually do what we are supposed to do, because we won't be thinking the right way, or we won't have the right practices to guide us. And so we'll be drifting from what God has ordained as true life change. And so then that brings us now to the text, to the book of Philemon, being one of the shortest New Testament books. Uh, it, is, it is a simple letter meant to convey this idea. Basically, Onesimus was a slave to Philemon, who was a Christian, and he ran away. Paul finds him. He comes to Christ, and now Onesimus is sent back to Philemon with this letter saying, hey, don't treat him like a slave anymore. That's the gist of it. But it's important now as we read this letter, that we understand the power structure of that day because we can't understand why Paul is saying what he says if we don't understand why he had to say it in the first place. You see, Rome liked to have power. Like any good government, they like to have power and control over the people that they rule over. The emperor was the highest authority. And then you had the, the, uh, the advisors, the regional rulers, the governors, and, and so forth. It kind of trickles down from there. It kind of builds like a pyramid structure of, of power. And this is something that is still affects us today. Most government structures are set up that way, right? You have some sort of like president, and then they have something that they control here and there, and then they have people under them, and they have people under them. It's all meant to convey power. But Rome, knowing that people would obey better if they could see power played out within their lives, created a social structure of power as well, which also still has impact within our lives and societies today. They said men are the head of the household. Women then are to serve under the men. And then they had slaves, which is kind of a pseudo category here, because the slaves only fit into this category when the head of the household told them that they had power to go do something. When they told the slave, hey, go do this, go, go send this letter, go, go on my behalf to do this or that, then they had power. But that's kind of like a, a fake level there, because slaves didn't really have any power or authority or rights. And then you had the children of the house who had to obey all who are above them. And then you actually had the slaves underneath where when they weren't being empowered by the head of the house, they were worthless. They, they had no rights. They could be beat, killed, whatever. There was nothing to protect them. And so this was the power structure that was set up. And Philemon 
just coming into Christ had lived in that structure. And it was set up in such a way that if you disobeyed that structure, there were consequences. There were social isolation that would happen. You would be shunned and shamed if you broke from that way. And if you were a slave, you could even be killed for breaking away from this structure. And so it kind of puts us into a rather unique situation when Paul then writes this letter to Philemon. Philemon was a wealthy man. We know this because he had a house large enough to house the church that was meeting there. It had to be pretty large to have people to meet because most people didn't have large houses. You think we have tiny houses now? Trust me. So they believe that, uh, that Philemon was in Colossae, which is where they also believe that when Paul wrote the letter of Colossians, it was actually going to Philemon and to this church. And so it's one and the same. And Philemon was most likely the leader of the church, not because he was wealthy, but because his wealth allowed him to have the house, it allowed him to kind of be like, okay, yeah, this is when we can meet because it's my dwelling. It's kind of like when, when we look at Laura and like, okay, so what does women's group mean? Well, my house is a mess. We're not meeting here today. Okay. You know, it, she, she, in that case, is the leader of the, the women's group because she has the place where everyone is going. It's not just because that she's the boss, but it's just because she has the resources that everyone is taking advantage of. And so we, we come to Philemon, who, who is uh, this wealthy man, leader of the church. And then he comes to Christ through Paul. But the problem with Onesimus arises is the fact that he's a slave of Philemon and he decides to run away and find Paul. Now there's a few assumptions that we can make here that is okay. And it doesn't affect the story if they're right or if they're wrong, but we can probably make them out to be accurate. One of the assumptions is that we could say that Philemon ran away in order to find Paul because being a or sorry, Onesimus ran away in order to find Paul because being a slave in Philemon's household, he would have saw Paul come in, would have saw, saw Paul teach about Christ and his master come to Christ. It would have all been familiar. And so he possibly could have been running away in order to find Paul and talk to him more about this. Or to hopefully find a better place to live because maybe Philemon had not been acting the way he should have to his slaves now that he was in Christ rather than when he was not in Christ. It's an assumption, but it's a fair one that we can make. We can also assume that when Onesimus ran away to find Paul, he stole some money from his master. Paul makes mention of repaying things. And in order to make a trip, you had to have some sort of funds, or he stole some goods, some food from the house, whatever it might have been, he took something along the way. Again, doesn't change the story, but we can think of this as it builds up this case for then when Paul says, accept Onesimus back into your life. According to the Roman law, Paul had a duty to return Onesimus back to his master, and Philemon had every right to beat him, to imprison him, or just to straight up kill him. And no one would blink an eye, and everyone would actually applaud him for doing so, because that's what you did with slaves. You, you kept that structure in line. 
And yet, we read this letter that's sent, and not just to Philemon, remember, this was sent to the entire church. Talk about getting put on the spot. That's that manipulative part of Paul that I'm talking about. He writes this letter to the entire church and says, hey, Philemon, I want you to do this. And everyone's reading it. Everyone in the church is hearing it. So Philemon can't just keep it a secret. He can't just be like, oh, Paul sent me a letter. Oh, that's nice. Throw it away. Everyone else knows. Everyone else heard what Paul said. And this presented then a huge problem for Philemon. On the one hand, he had the duty to Rome to uphold the social order. And on the other hand, Onesimus had become a Christian, which meant everything had to change. You see, the, the life-changing lesson that Paul is teaching us here is that brothers and sisters in Christ supersede social order. And this was asking a lot for Philemon. He could lose all of his social standing. Whatever his profession was, it could have suffered because people would be like, oh no, that's the guy who brought his slave back and didn't punish him. We don't want to do business with him. He's a softie. He, he doesn't follow what Rome teaches us. So he could lose business. He could become poor. He could lose his house. And there was the risk of actually bringing Onesimus back into his house. How do we know that Onesimus was being genuine? How do we know that this wasn't just a play to not get in trouble? That he said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian now, so you can't do anything to me. Yay. Then he goes off and runs away again or steals more from his master. We have no promises of this. We have no way of knowing which is true or which is not. Whether we like it or not, there's just no answer to these questions. No promises from Onesimus here. However, Paul points out in a section here in verses 5 and 6 why Philemon is capable of doing what he is being asked to do. Look at it here. Because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. The key element of Paul's whole message is the love and the faith that is being demonstrated by Philemon. Now the problem is many Bible translators do us a disservice and they take the love and faith and they separate it into two different categories. They say, oh, we see how you love your brothers and sisters and we see how you have faith towards God. But in the original Greek, it's actually just one long sentence. We see your love and faith towards both your brothers and sisters and to God which means that he is demonstrating both love and faith to both categories, to both people and God. And that's a huge difference from just showing love towards your brothers and sisters. This means that Philemon is being praised for his faithfulness, his fidelity towards his fellow Christians. He, he is actually doing actions that show that he is going to be faithful to them. Paul is trying to help Philemon see that his faith has naturally caused him to act differently. No longer does he relate to the people as he once did. And that same thinking must then be applied to Onesimus, since he too now is in Christ. It's also worth noting here that, that Paul, for Paul, love and faith are the orthodoxy and orthopraxy in this situation. 
love is causing Philemon to think rightly about his, how he relates to God and people, and faith is challenging him to act rightly towards people and God. Which does not mean that we cannot think of faith as only a, a thought process. In our 21st century, postmodern, Protestant brains, we think of faith as something that we think of. We, we have faith in God. We, we talk about faith as being something that's just within our brains, our, our mental capacity. But it is more than that. It is an action. It, again, as I said, fidelity, loyalty. It is something that we do. If he is faithful to all Christians in his church, acting in a certain way to demonstrate that, then Onesimus should be no different. This letter is one of the best representations then of Paul's idea of that there is no longer Jew or Greek, male or female. This idea that there are no differences because in Christ the love and faith wells up inside of us so that we think rightly and we act rightly towards all people regardless of the other classifications, all the other ways that we talk about people. This idea of brothers and sisters in Christ's superseding social order is then highlighted even more in Paul's statement in verse 11. Look at that there. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. Onesimus was useless. Such a nice thing to say about people. You're useless. But now you become useful. It's seems simple enough, but yet this is again where I wish we spoke Greek because we miss things if we don't do our due diligence. Paul's actually writing this as a play on Onesimus' name because Onesimus actually means useful one. So he's saying that Onesimus was not useful. He was not fulfilling his own name. He had no purpose. He had no drive. But now that he is in Christ, he has purpose. He is useful to all of us. And this is not just something that is for Onesimus alone, but this applies to all Christians. On a very practical level, there is, in fact, no relationship between Christians and non-Christians. We may do things together. We may have uh, similarities. We may be in situations where we have to work together. But there is fundamentally a disconnect between those who believe in Christ and those who do not. Because our priorities are not aligned. And that's why Paul could say that Onesimus was useless. As a slave, sure, he provided services to Philemon. He did things. He maybe made him money or something like that. But on, on a much higher level, in a, in a grand scheme of things, Onesimus was useless while he was not a Christian. But all of a sudden, he became a Christian. And that's when the true purpose came out. That's when, that's when Onesimus actually became useful to Philemon's life. Think of all the resources that you acquire when you get your priorities realigned with other Christians. When, when we have people outside of here, yeah, they live, they do, they, they might be people who make stuff for us that we benefit from, but in the grand scheme of life, what benefit do we hold? But if they become Christians, all of a sudden we have a new brother and sister in the faith. We have someone else we can talk to, work with, pray with. And so it was critical that Philemon understood that he could not just take Philemon back or Onesimus back as a slave. 
because he was a fellow brother in Christ. He no longer held the title of slave, and Philemon could not enslave a fellow Christian. I understand that this is a lot, a lot of names, a lot of, a lot of context, a lot of, of ideas being thrown around here. And it's all well and good, but if we can't apply it to our lives, if we can't take this story and be like, okay, so what does that mean for me now? We're stuck. And to be honest, I struggled for a very long time on how to relate this. We don't have a slave system in our society anymore, which is a great thing. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we need to reintroduce that. It's a good thing that we don't have that. But then that means that we are detached in how that functions, what that looks like. Because the problem is we need to find a people group that is different from us, and this group must be considered lowly, and society must tell us to treat them in a certain way that is different. It took a bit of thinking of how this might apply. But then I looked at all the farmlands that we have around us. Whether we like to think about it or not, we have illegal immigrants living among us. Field workers who go from farm to farm in order to make a living. They're the people who pick the crops that we don't want to do. We don't want those jobs. We don't, we don't want to be out in the fields picking and doing all that hard labor. But yet, we have these people who come from foreign countries. They sneak into our lands and they, they do this work so that we might enjoy food in our grocery stores. But yet, society tells us that they are worthless. That they need to be removed. That they don't belong here that they should be deported. They're not even considered second-rate citizens. They are considered nothing. They don't count. Now, hear me out. I'm not debating the societal or political aspects of this topic. Not going there. Won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Paul ignored that in his day, and I'm following his example, and I'm ignoring it right now. But let's use this as an example, Okay? Say we know someone who is an illegal immigrant. From society's perspective, they are useless. Even though we love enjoying the benefit of them, similar to how Philemon was uh, considering Onesimus useless, even though he enjoyed the benefits of having him as a slave, he was useless. And we're told that they must be removed. And yet, what if that person became a Christian? What then do we do? How do we relate to that person? According to Paul, we must welcome them as any other brother or sister in Christ. What is more important to us, what is more important to us as the church? That they are illegal or that they are Christian? What is more useful to us? Does their citizenship devalue their Christianhood? Will we allow faith and love to rule over societal pressure? I understand that this example may not sit well with some of you. It may be challenging to everything that you believe. And that's okay. I'm not here to demand that you need to make a change. I'm not going to tell you that right now, this instant, you need to 
stop thinking what you used to think and you need to think differently. That's not me. Even if I had the authority to demand that, I wouldn't. I don't have that authority. I don't want to demand that out of anyone. Just like Paul chose not to demand Philemon to obey him, even though he could. Yet, I ask that for the same love and faith that you demonstrate towards me, to your brothers and sisters here, that you consider how that may spill over into other people's lives that might not fit in. You will all be wise to notice that we are not given any sense of whether Philemon followed these instructions. We are not given any resolution at all to this particular issue. We're just kind of left hanging. And, and I believe that that is a God-ordained blessing. These life-changing moments are not easy, and we may struggle with aspects of them for years. For years. So if we were to read Philemon and we come to the end of the book and then we're given a little addendum and said, then Philemon obeyed everything that day and did everything that Paul said, we would then feel that pressure to say, well, then I'm a worse Christian if I can't relate to these people in that way. I'm a worse Christian if I can't come to that resolution. And so by having this absence, by having this question mark at the end of the story and not having the resolution, we are given grace to wrestle with it within our lives. We are given grace not to have it all figured out. We are given grace not to make the change instantly, whether we like it or not. We are given the grace to try to figure out what that means for us. I don't want any of us to respond with haste when it comes to issues like this, when it comes to how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. I want all to soak in, because for some of us, this may be the first time that we are hearing these concepts, that we are being opened up to a new reality of what being a Christian looks like. And that's not fair then to put the pressure of saying, and this is what you need to do, and this is how you need to change. And if you don't, you don't belong. I want us to be able to work through it together. I want us to remember that our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter any other definitions that may be attached to them, do in fact supersede all social order. We share in a family that is bound by love and faith. And as we now then move into our time of response and prayer and offerings and communion, may we be vulnerable enough to ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we might not have accepted a brother or sister in the way that we should have. Doing so will push us and it will make us at odds with society, but it will also change our lives forever. Now, before we go into prayer, I know that Bambi wanted to share something very important with us. And so feel free, Bambi, to go ahead and share that.
pray for you right now? Can, can we come and lay hands on you and, and pray for you? Yeah. Whoever wants to join me.
I also want us to be in prayer for, for Kay's family. Um, most of you know by now because she has sent out texts to people. Um, her father is in the latter stages of Alzheimer's and he will be, uh, the, the nurses, the hospice nurses say maybe a month. So we want to be praying for her and her family as it's just, a, it's a hard time to go through to see that change and to, to face the reality of what that means. Uh, so especially if you, if you think about it, just reach out to her, offer her words of encouragement. So let us continue to pray today in response to what the Lord has done and is going to do. Gracious creator, we thank you that you give us to each other for we discover new dimensions of your grace in the frictions and comforts of life together. In your body, we learn what it means to be whole. In your mercy, help us to set our fear aside, loosen our grip on what we know, if it is keeping us from what we should, what you should would teach us. We pray for this community and for your church all over the world. You shaped us for service, O oh Lord. Show us the good we may do. For when you use us, we come alive. We pray for those who have been labeled useless, for those whose youth and strength are gone, for those whose convictions are strange to us, for those who cannot find a place in the economies we trust. And we pray for those whose prophetic lives challenge and inspire us sustain such faithful witness. Lord, we do not know how to pray for peace in broken lands, for justice when the weak have no advocate, for life in the midst of despair. Yet you are the God of Easter, the God of impossible life. Move in stubborn hearts and settled minds. Give us courage beyond our imagination that we might follow where you will lead. We pray in the name of Jesus, whose words still burn in our hearts, whose breath still unsettles your people. Amen. All that we are points back to our creator. All that we have is a gift and trust. 
we, God will finish what God has begun, and we have the privilege of taking part. So with grateful hearts, let us bring our tithes and offerings to God from whom they come. Do I have a couple of children? I feel like some of them have disappeared. Christopher, do you want to come help? Azalea, you can come up. Go ahead. We'll we'll pray over the offerings, and and then when you when we get done, you'll go on that side. You'll catch everyone, and then Azalea, you'll go on this side, and they'll catch everyone. Okay. With God of all creation, your claim on us is total. Your desire for us is complete. We cannot follow Christ from a comfortable distance. Yet we ask that you would receive this today and receive us this day and use what we bring. Keep sending your spirit into our hearts until we yield all that we love and all that we fear to your holy purpose. For we long to feed our lives to you. We long to know the fullness of your joy. We dare to pray in the name of Jesus, who gave his life out in love for the world. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us prepare our hearts to be God's sanctuary. Praise be unto you, God of the prophets, for you have taken in your own two hands the redemption of this world and fashioned us from brokenness into life everlasting with you. Like a potter, you fashioned your chosen people, making them into a vessel worthy of your glory. When the vessel was spoiled, you called your people to repentance and sent prophets to renew their faith. In the fullness of time, through the death and resurrection of your Son, you reworked the clay like a potter at a wheel, and remade a vessel revealing your goodness and grace through the forgiveness of sins, raising us up, from the dust of the earth to the hope of everlasting life. And so with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. God of love, you welcome us at this table as brothers and sisters in a new family. Shape our life together by the way we belong to, our, to one another and you. Send your Holy Spirit upon your church to make us faithful witnesses to your beloved community. Sanctify this bread and cup that they may be for us the body and blood of your Son, who at supper with his disciples took the bread and gave you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper he took the cup, and again he gave you thanks and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. 
This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Creating and recreating God, you are the potter and we are the clay. Renew your church today in the touch of your hands. Search and know the places that are broken and the hearts that long to be mended. For your people in faithfulness to Jesus, form, form your people in faithfulness to Jesus. Shape us to be his disciples, to take up our cross and follow him. Have your own way with us, Lord. Mold us and make us, search us and try us, touch us and heal us, till all shall see Christ only, always living in us. Bring us at last to the blessing, blessed day when we are one with the family of saints gathered around your throne in the company of the Holy Spirit in union with Christ, Father most holy, now and always. Amen. When your hearts are ready, you may come and receive the elements. This morning, let us sing together, holy, 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 it is in your hymnal on page two.
you continue to shape your heart. May the Christ who commissioned you charge you with purpose. May the spirit that stirs you help you carry the cross that you may honor your creator and bless the world. Go in the grace of God. God bless you.